Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are covering the people, people-centered development in practical and learning environments project. This is an international three-year European Union program aimed to enhance university and business cooperation. We are joined today by Sarah, Maria, Nora and Gregor, all part of the team behind the People Project that works together towards a better and more efficient cooperation between higher education institutions and business. They emphasize that the People Project is a problem-based and project-based learning experiment and share stories from their own experience of how this experiment evolved in practice. This approach allowed them to see the world of anthropology from a new perspective and are curious to see if, in the future, the project helps change roles within academia as well as the expectations of industry partners towards anthropology. Lastly, we asked them for advice for both students interested in a more practical path and professionals who aspire to continuously learn. We hope you enjoy it. Um, hi friends! Today we have a special episode for you. It's a group interview with the People team of the People Project. So um, I'm very excited to, to dive into this, this topic um, alongside you and also learn more about this wonderful project. So before we maybe dive into the project, I would like to start with just uh, welcoming our um, guests and just to do a short round of who, who do we have in the room with us today. Hi, everyone. Um, hi, Codina. Uh, my name is Maria Shalaru and I am a postdoctoral research associate working at the University of uh, Durham in the UK. Uh, hi everyone, my name is Sara Arko. I'm an anthropologist, but I'm employed as a researcher in a Slovenian company called Metronic, uh, which provides automation systems and IT solutions for digitalization of industry, smart buildings, and critical infrastructure, so it's very tech. Mm -hmm. uh, I was always interested in applying theory to practice, and but keeping one foot firmly grounded in anthropology and Metronic is a um, industry partner in the People Project. I am Nora. I am a participating student in the People Project. Um, I am studying um, culture organization and management at the university in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And um, during the People Project, I have done research uh, at an energy grid operator. Um, so yeah, that was the research um, and I participated in the People Project for a half a year. And my name is Gregor Cerinšek. I'm the uh, project manager coordinator of the uh, People Project. Uh, and I work at the Institute for Innovation and Development of University of Ljubljana, who coordinates the People Project. And we act as an intermediate organization between universities and between business environment in Slovenia. Okay, great. And, and I'm Corina. For those that don't know, I'm also an anthropologist, very interested in the separation between theory and practice and how can they be brought together. And that's also my interest for um, turning this into an episode on the podcast. 
So maybe for, for those of, of us that do not know it in, in detail, uh, maybe one of you could start by just defining what is the People Project? Well, maybe I could start with that as project manager having an overview about it. Mm -hmm. So I, I always say that people is about people. This is the simplest definition that I could provide. So we try to emphasize and promote the message that knowing and understanding people should become an indispensable part of the uh, development process if we want to achieve new, new categories of sustainable products, services, or business strategies. So, in fact, people, www.people-project.net, if someone is interested to see it more on our website. So, People is an European project financed under the Erasmus Plus Knowledge Alliance program. And this is the key EU program aiming to enhance university business cooperation. And in People, we aim to improve existing higher education practices by developing new teaching and learning programs and practices in social science and humanities that bring together interdisciplinary groups of students, faculty educators, industry professionals, as well as target end users and other external stakeholders. So these teams jointly examine and explore real life industry and society challenges and aim to discover the uh, unmet needs of people. So furthermore, they also apply and test different so-called people-centered development and design approaches analyze the results and convey the work by providing certain industry-relevant recommendations, but we'll probably more speak about it later. Mm -hmm. So there are four European countries, Slovenia, UK, Czech Republic, and the Netherlands. And in every country, we have one university and one industry partner and eight different university business corporation case studies, especially in the field of energy efficiency and sustainability where this is being implemented. So this would be in short. If I could add one thing, um, I think quite widely the, the project answers a very specific need uh, for, uh, for solving a Euro the European problem of underdevelopment um, mm. of, of social science and, and um, industry collaboration. So on the one hand, you have the underemployment of social scientists. Mm. On the other hand, there's a kind of lack of social science expertise in the sustainability and an energy sector. So these are two complementary issues that we, that that come together in our project. Okay, thank you. And and how did it come to be? Like how? What was the the spark igniting it all? Yeah, maybe I could also say something here because I was involved quite from the beginning. I think with other colleagues. I, I think that everything started at the first Why the World Needs Anthropologists conference, which was held in Amsterdam back in 2013, where different people with similar challenges have gathered together and discussed about what could be and should be done in the area. So we somehow realized that in many sectors, and especially in the energy sector specifically, Uh, businesses and industries are operating in increasingly complex and constantly changing environments. So problems that they are facing are very wicked and difficult to solve uh, because they involve different contrasting interests. So in these sectors, products and services uh, are still mainly dominated by technical engineering. So design of everything is dominated and graduates in social sciences and humanities are largely excluded and, and as a result solutions that are designed in isolation if we could say like that um, 
or with only a superficial consideration of people's needs and expectations are often over-aligned on technological innovation. So they ignore the particular lifestyles and social culture specifics of people. And this goes surprisingly very hand in hand with what, what was just exposed by Maria before. So on the other side, we have we are experiencing the skills mismatches between social sciences and humanities and anthropology in particular uh, across Europe and on the other hand sides, the requirements of the industry. So there is a failure of society at large and the business world in particular to understand how young people educated in these fields could contribute towards improving product services and processes or by driving innovation in these rapidly evolving technology areas. So that's it. All countries were facing similar challenges and we decided that it's time to do something about it and uh, especially in the higher education area. Uh, and this is how the whole concept of people started. Uh, we needed a project like people and this was also acknowledged by the Europe, European Commission at the end when they approved the people project. Mm -hmm. And can I continue? Sure. Here? Yeah. And uh, from the business or industry side, I think this was also the most important uh, objective of the People Project because uh, the companies got the opportunity to recognize how anthropologists or social science scientists in general can actually fit into their research and development teams. Even though there are now more tech and other companies that are recognizing this potential uh, and actually this need to change the way they are making products if they want them to be usable and people or environment friendly. But there's still a lot of room for improvement, I think. Especially in our part of the world, anthropologists are uh, still a, a rare sight in industry. I mean, in the sense of being actually employed as ethnographers. Um, but there is that uh, SMEs, so small and medium enterprises, often don't have the resources uh, to invest into a social science researcher being on a team to, to experiment with them. Uh, or maybe it's sometimes difficult to persuade their management that investing in an anthropologist could be beneficial or that it could pay off. So... We had the opportunity to do this within an Erasmus Plus project framework, and this was definitely a really good incentive and also a benefit. It was a sort of a safe environment where everyone could experiment, the higher education institutions, the industry partners, as well as the students, of course. Yeah. Are there any more specific, maybe geography or country-wide um, needs or objectives um, that you want to add to this more overall one? Or it's, it's kind of reflecting in, in, in all of them in the same way? Hmm. I suppose not so much geographical, but this year we've had the opportunity to work with a third sector institution. And I think um, that is an important angle to also add to the equation. So... We're working with the local council um, in Durham County, mm -hmm. and the council needs to understand the needs of its of the people living in the council. They they very often interact with the people living in their in their uh, council um, on issues that are very challenging. Not only low carbon economy issues, but also social issues that they sometimes feel unprepared to deal with. 
So we felt that in this dialogue that took place around a topic that is quite concrete, such as electric vehicles, mm-hmm. um, there was something that emerged that was educational, profoundly educational, both for us and for them. Okay. Can you quickly take me through the mechanics of the project? How, 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 is it, mm. how does it work in action? Um, I will try to put it in, uh, to explain it in a simple way. Um, we started with developing the, uh, you know, the methodologies, the, uh, the strategies, how everything should be implemented. And then um, we, we decided to, to uh, start with four different kind of projects, case studies, mm-hmm. which also were interrelated to some extent. So there was a national cooperation, but on the other hand, there was also international cooperation between the case studies. Mm-hmm. So it means that students worked on real, la- real life case studies of the industry or on, of the fourth, uh, third sector, as Maria said. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were working on their real life challenges uh, in implementing the uh, ethnographic people-centered development methodologies uh, and conveying the work. And this was uh, all the time, this, this was all the time done in um, interdisciplinary and also uh, under the mentorship of professors on one hand side and also the industry professionals. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, the communication was, came from different sides. It was not just students working on cases in isolation, they were working directly with the industry, having direct, direct support from, from the business people, and they all learned out of it. Mm. So it, the, uh, the added value wor- was identified on all three sides. Yeah. Um, and we, uh, I mean, project-wise, there was, of course, a sound evaluation done. So it means that we all learned from this first project, from the first learning cycle, as we call it, so that the lessons learned were implemented in the second learning cycles in order to improve. And we, all learnings, all two learning cycles, which lasted from, from October, so that means from the start of the uh, study year until uh, June, July, they all finished in the so-called co-creation camp. First one was held in Amsterdam, sec- second one was held in Ljubljana, and that was just one month, no, it's not even one month, mm-hmm. it was in the beginning of July where all students, all industry professionals and all, all professors came to get together and they were uh, exchanging their ideas, reflections, experiences and also co-creating to some extent. Yeah, I wonder if it did and if so, how um, change, uh, how would be a normal role of a professor in relationship to a student that they supervise in relation to, a, to a, let's say, an applied project? So in what way that changed uh, the responsibilities, the attribution of the, of, of the academic, if, and if, if it did, no, maybe it didn't. Uh, that's a brilliant question. I, I, can give it, I can give an answer a try if you'd like. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yes. So I was involved in co-teaching the module, the people module at, in Durham, at Durham University, and uh, what it changed from the very beginning was this process of co-creating the research um, project together with the non-academic partner. So wow. from the very beginning, we had our partners in the room mm-hmm. uh, for each class. So simply put, we had one representative of the low carbon economy team from Durham County Council from the first class to the last one. So that meant that they were involved in 
defining the research question, thinking of research methodology, and then research methodology, thinking of how to help the students find the right research participants. They contributed to the research analysis and they've invited them multiple times to disseminate their research findings in the council. And for me, as, a, as, as teaching staff, that was really unique mm -hmm. because it was really not unidirectional as teaching often is. Um, we genuinely learned from one another from the very beginning and students, teachers and the non-academic partner alike, we were all involved in creating the project from the bottom up. And I think that's quite unique. Uh, maybe I could just add something here uh, which came out from the evaluation that we did. So in terms of teachers and also university researchers that have participated, we identified that they have become aware of the different perspectives and contexts in which industry operates. And they have been challenged to modify their way of teaching to these new circumstances, circumstances which I think is important. So the, the learning modules, these new learning modules have been embedded in degree programs, enabling students to gain uh, valuable practical skills to complement, of course, their, their theoretical education while also demonstrating the value of that education for industry. I think that's quite important. Mm. Yeah, and maybe to put it into context, uh, these uh, learning cycles that we were implementing were based on a pr um, project-based learning approach or a, pr a problem-based learning approach, uh, which practically, in practice, this meant that student teams were working on one challenge for the entire uh, study year. So they were involved in developing their own little projects within our big overall people project. And they were um, working on designing their research, uh, thinking about their research methodologies, carrying out the actual research, and then providing some recommendations or solutions that could potentially be um, used by the company partner, the industry partner. So in, um, in our evaluation of uh, these learning cycles, the students very much appreciated this uh, approach to learning and teaching, which was, at least in our Slovenian case, um, very different from what they are used to. One of the things, besides what Maria already mentioned, was that the learning process was actually taken, often taken outside of the classroom. So our Slovenian students were uh, researching uh, building automation systems and energy efficiency in buildings. Uh, and most of the meetings that we had and the discussions uh, that they had with their mentors were happening inside that building that they were researching. So they were actually in the field and not so much in the classroom which was uh, for them uh, a new experience and also they were, they were able to connect differently to the topic they were studying and also, of course, to um, see how to implement the methods that they've been learning about in practice. I, I just wanted to add that it's so valuable to have this um, practice or practical uh, experience because um, at uni, of course, we have learned about many theories and um, we never really had a lot of uh, experience um, or practical experience. So, um, and we didn't 
really learn a lot about how to put all these knowledge about the theories into practice. And in the People Project, that is exactly what you do. And especially at the beginning of your work career, um, it is very valuable to have that experience because, um, yeah, now I feel way more confident entering the, the professional field and applying for jobs because I know the value of the theories I learned. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And it also, I think a small part of this learning uh, process was that you are now able to understand how to manage a project. I mean, I know this can be, maybe it, it feels like a very dull thing, but it's really useful when, mm -hmm. when you're, once you're out of university and like eventually we all get into these projects and knowing how to, yeah. you know, how to manage your yeah. time, how mm -hmm. to structure your research, how to communicate with an, uh, a client, for instance, if, if you're working for a client, or even yeah. how to work in a team, because there's always a research team and, you know. It's not easy to work in teams because anthropologists, we are more, we used to be maybe many, many years ago, we used to be more like loners mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> going on field work alone and <laughs> managing everything by ourselves. But this is uh, unfortunately or fortunately not a reality anymore. And it's really valuable to know how to work in teams, how to yeah. manage teams. Yeah. I actually wanted to ask that. It was I had like two two questions uh, coming from um, from your uh, comments. Um, one of them had to do around that uh, that around teaming and the challenges of working in, in in teams. And the second one had to do with maybe maybe it's semantics, but I don't know. Maybe it's not. It, what from the, from the way you explain what is happening, it sounds to me a lot like what I've come to consider design anthropology. Or, or maybe a kind of a connection between anthropology and what they teach in in, in design uh, schools. So I wonder um, the infusion of these new methods and this new way of doing into this uh, series of experiments ha ha has also produced this kind of uh, reflection on what exactly is happening there in the space of anthropology. Um, maybe maybe I could add something here as maybe a bit of external observer. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not an anthropologist myself, I'm a sociologist, even though um, we are all from social sciences. Um, so what, what I was, what I experienced about people uh, is that uh, the added value is that it was very interdisciplinary in mm -hmm. nature. So it's not just about anthropology or sociology. Mm. It's uh, it's uh, inter or maybe even trans transdisciplinary because mm -hmm. the business partners that were that were involved, they were mainly all engineers, mm -hmm. with exception of Sarah, who is an anthropologist. But otherwise, they were very very technical. These were very very technical people. So it was interdisciplinary and collaborative. So with other disciplines and also with the other sectors, and this is what people is about. It was also rooted in ethnography, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can get deep insights and you can discover something you're not able with other more conventional approaches. So it's about discovering the uh, unknown unknowns, mm -hmm. as Anna Kira explained once yeah. very nicely. So you do not take it for granted as innovation that will change the society on its own. So people are not just passive consumers. So it's, you know, the problem solution paradigm is not there anymore. You, what has been done was more of discovering the, uh, 
the uh, what are the possibilities? What mm-hmm. what what are the, yeah the different possibilities that are that are possible? So um, maybe the third thing is that it was it was in dialogue with theory, mm-hmm. which is very much important. So academics they brought into the bigger context. They brought in the environment. They brought into the future. They brought into the uh, emerging things that will that will happen. And there's always the agenda. You know, when you critique the problem-solution paradigm, so that technology per se will just change the society, which is not so. It's the people who use this kind of technology, and it's always the people who will change the society. Uh, and what I also think interesting that is interesting, it's it was very methodological, experimental. For mm-hmm. instance, students or solutions proposed were were based on videos, were based on art interventions, mm. board cards, and so on. So it's not something, it's not that we repeat something that others did before us. Yeah. It was very experimental. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure if this was the direct answer to your yeah. question, but I just wanted to mm. summarize all the key important things I I saw differently in the People Project compared to other yeah. more conventional user design uh, oriented projects. Yeah. Mm. But I'm sure it's, of course, in a lot of ways, it's very similar to, um, I don't know, either design thinking, human-centered design, or I don't know how many of these different uh, directions there are. Uh, Of course, there are some common threats, Mm -hmm. uh, but like Gregor said, I think uh, what we were... Uh, encouraging more or what we were focusing more on is the research part Mm -hmm. and uh, implementing theory as well as methodology that comes from anthropology or other social sciences and humanities and this was this was in our focus we were mm, the our goal was not to 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 actually design products that could immediately be used by the companies, although this would, of course, be a benefit. But uh, uh, we were focusing more on experimenting with the learning process itself. Just, I just wanted to brief, uh, to give a very brief illustration to the process that Sara was uh, talking about. So, um, as a concrete example, our students looked at the e- at electric vehicle use and how the county council could help sustain the growth of electric vehicle use. So apart from uh, methodologies, uh, methods such as um, interviews or, or uh, literature uh, reviews, they actually just drove an, ele- an electric vehicle. They, they took an electric vehicle from, Durham, uh, from the Durham Energy Institute and they drove it themselves through the city to see how it feels like to try to charge the electric vehicles or to see what the available infrastructure is, to try to see what the payment methods are. And that was really special for them. Um, so I think that's a good illustration of bringing in anthropological methods to a project that otherwise wouldn't perhaps mm. have the openness um, for such a specific activity, which brought about many, many key findings, actually. Yeah. What were the expectations of the partners, uh, particularly from the industry perspective? What what would they what did they hope to get out of it? I think the the key key benefits were, of course, uh, um, supporting the interdisciplinarity. Mm-hmm. At least in our case, 
the company was uh, uh, really in a technological company where the vast majority of employees are engineers. Um, so bringing students and professors from uh, uh, anthropology was something that was radically new, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's not also it's not only this company. I think a uh, huge majority of uh, Slovenian companies that are more technologically oriented do not have that kind of experience. So this was definitely something new. And it also offered a prospect of uh, generating new ideas. Uh, and it was, uh, if I could call it, free access to new, no <laughs> to new knowledge or mm. fresh ideas um, and even testing those ideas, uh, which could potentially help bringing the products that the company is selling uh, closer to their users. Uh, and of course, also recognizing potential new caters that could um, the companies could uh, um, test and evaluate or train the students uh, who could be involved in uh, these kind of uh, R and D processes within the company. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe I could add here that at the beginning, companies normally always expect direct solutions to their problems. Mm -hmm. So they either expect you will provide them with a, I don't know, a user interface that will attract people or you, um, uh, they, they even ask how you can, how your research can contribute, uh, can help me to sell my products better. Which is which is not what we are doing, mm -hmm. and yeah. again, this is this is in contradiction with the so-called problem-solution paradigm. So, mm -hmm. uh, through ethnography or through people approach, um, you see the technology or you see the products as something unfinished, incomplete. So that is still opening up the opportunities. Um, so. I, I would say that the first shift that should be done is this internal shift um, in the people's mindset and uh, the benefit of the people project and benefit of the people case studies uh, from our perspective is that industry somehow acquired this kind of fresh outside the box perspectives in relation to their existing processes and understanding of, of markets as well. When I say emerging, what's the emerging markets, the emerging technologies? So the activities have actually contributed towards changing the mindset of engineers, technicians, practitioners, and company senior management as well. They somehow started to question this taken for granted mm -hmm. and also uncovering the surprising and, let's say, complex ways in which people make decisions. And I think this was quite a huge breakthrough mm. in certain cases. Yeah. Mm. And if I could add to that, I think a key element relating, related to the, the expectation of the non-academic partner is also learning how to be very, very open uh, from the very beginning mm. within, uh, with regards to those expectations. So very concretely, I think sometimes companies... Um, expect consultancy work mm -hmm. from students. They hope that they will mm -hmm. find 
like Gregor said, some sort of solution to their problem and that mm. they could be disappointed if the students don't give them exactly what it is they expect. So we have had both challenges and great satisfaction from communicating very clearly with them from the very beginning that, sure, they might um, find out something that is helpful. And indeed, in most cases, they do. But the key, the key thing here is student learning. Um, so they need to, to be incredibly patient mm. um, and they, they need to redress their expectations from the very beginning, I guess. Uh, I really recognize everything that is said before, um, that indeed the, the industry or my industry partner was also expecting uh, results quite uh, in the beginning. Mm. Um, and um, if I... Uh, look back on that uh, beginning, yeah, there there uh, was just uh, superficial knowledge of uh, the the research field of the people I was researching, and mm-hmm. um, by the end, I had spoken to many people, and um, yeah, through ethnography, there um, really had rich data that was uh, by the end even more valuable than I would have. Uh, or I could have uh, find in the beginning so um, yeah there was an expectation of the industry to have quick results Mm -hmm. Um, and also there was an expectation of or there was a mindset of technical and logic and and rational thinking and by the end we really discovered that the um, the way or the uh, the arguments people had in my research field were more based on emotions and feelings and that was something completely new to my industry partner but um, very valuable because it really made them think in a whole different way. Yeah, I, you know, I really rec- recognize these struggles also from being an applied anthropologist. I think it, it, it kind of reflects quite quite well the the challenges of, of being in the field and kind of navigating these expectations in a way that that provides the value that you consider as an anthropologist but I, I was wondering um, uh, before going into the next question um, this particular unique setting that you have where the academic partner took a more active role uh, in this process if that wasn't a, a kind of like a, a support for the students to kind of be able to navigate that easier because my experience being in industry and working with students or even coaching students from outside um, the industry was that they really struggle to to navigate that line on their own, you know, especially if it's mm-hmm. the first internship or if it's the first project. Have you have you experienced that the maybe more strengthened support from, from the academic part helped them in doing that? Absolutely. There is also an exercise of translation sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Here you hear a specific need or a frustration or a, uh, or let's say a, a specific level of excitement towards one side of the project from the non-academic partner. And then you, you translate that into something that the students can deal with and yeah. the other way around as well. Yeah. So at the beginning of the learning cycle, we found in Durham that it is quite important to mediate mm-hmm. quite carefully the yes. relationship between students and the non-academic partner and then let's say in the second term so a few months in mm. to to create a direct point of contact in our case apart from these direct meetings we also had uh, we used slack a project management software mm-hmm. so the students and 
and the, and their partners they collab they they spoke to each other and they collaborated directly on different elements of the project such as the research planning or the literature etc but at the beginning we found that indeed you can't just throw students and ex- into this world mm-hmm. and expect them to navigate it with ease mm-hmm. Even though this is something so common, right? That happens in, uh, in normal processes of internship. Uh, it, I find yeah, it so yeah. cool that it, it, yeah. it becomes more visible, you know? Yeah, yeah, it really is. So uh, moving into the next part, what are some of the surprises that you encountered in, in, in moving through the, the project? Surprises to what were your initial expectations at the, from the start? Well, personally, I found myself in this interesting space of uh, being in between worlds, so to mm-hmm. say, because as an anthropologist, uh, academic things are always an integral part of my life. But working as a researcher in industry uh, brought also an exciting insight into the world of business, mm-hmm. which I approach the world of industry Uh, and uh, in, per- in particular, the energy efficiency in buildings, which was my main topic, our main topic, as, as an uh, exotic place in itself. So it's therefore, therefore worthy of anthropological curiosity and inquiry. Uh, but on the other hand, I was also to, able to see the world of academia and in particularly the world of anthropology from the industry or business, business perspective. So what I, what I realized uh, into the project already was that the valuable insight that anthropology can bring into such interdisciplinary, uh, industry-oriented endeavors is its capability to simultaneously zoom mm-hmm. in and out of a specific research challenge. For instance, uh, our first case study had a very fairly... Uh, straightforward initial research question, which was how can we improve the energy management and information systems in the building so that they would support both the energy efficiency of the building and the well-being of its occupants. Mm. While from the industry side, these are mainly measured, the energy efficiency is mainly measured Uh, in numbers, of course, such mm-hmm. as how much uh, energy has been consumed, what's the room temperature, CO2 levels, and so on. But then the team of anthropology students used uh, ethnography and people-centered approaches, and they looked really microscopically into everyday practices of mm-hmm. uh, the inv- individual building occupants and the ways they were using this building. And, of course... Uh, because they were trained as anthropologists, they let, let the field lead their research. Mm-hmm. And they were also exploring different questions, such as uh, how is the interior design influencing the occupant's mm-hmm. perception of well-being? Because these were actually the questions that were important to the research participants. We yeah. always do that, anthropologists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in an industry environment where useful result, the results are expected immediately, I might say. As we've mentioned, uh, this might be seen as a weakness of anthropology. You know, mm-hmm. the usual uh, arguments go, it takes so long, it takes too long, it's not uh, clear what the results, how the results will be useful. 
But what I realized is that it's exactly this capacity of anthropology that can lead to new discoveries and also provides an opportunity for innovation because anthropologists don't only set out to answer the questions that the client or, I mean, in our case, business or industry partner thinks are relevant, but they instead, they also find questions that are relevant mm. to the research participants, to the people that are part of the research, mm. who are, of course, potential users uh, of products yeah. or services that the company is offering. And then when they find those questions that are important to them, they also involve these people in seeking and or designing possible solutions. Mm. So this was, I think, a really... Uh, <laughs> an insight that I got mm-hmm. from working on this and thinking about it and looking at it from both sides, the anthropological and the business side. Mm-hmm. Does it also get the business to care about those new questions, just as a follow-up to, to your observation? Yes, I think it does change perspectives, or at least minimally it it kind of attunes them to... Mm-hmm be aware of uh, that there that there are uh, other things we can ask that are not purely technological and that maybe there are other opportunities for you know new products or um, better products or new services i think it is a mind opener but it also takes time mm-hmm. yeah and a lot of effort yeah I, I, I could very much agree with that. It's um, it's also related to the uh, expert blinders that sometimes we have, and it was also experienced by our industry partners. So that means that we we only see the perspective from our own position, from our mm-hmm. own discipline. Mm-hmm. But because today's challenges are so complex, cross trend disciplinary and cross sectoral. No one subject matter should rule, yeah? yeah? So instead of just crossing over, you are adding value together and coming up mm. with new ways of thinking, with new ways of working. So no approach is the right approach. So no no, no one model, model is the right model. Mm. It's the context that decides. So that's why you need social scientists, you need humanities. And the, I think this is this is at the end something which... Uh, people that were involved that were mm-hmm. that were not coming from a social science background but were involved from companies from their engineering backgrounds this is something that they realized somehow yeah um, so yeah yeah perhaps this- an, in, an interesting example from our experience is uh, uh, an engineer who was part of uh, the Slovenian team uh, who really recognized the value of this kind of interdisciplinary cooperation. And eventually he started, uh, because un- up until then he always presented himself as a mechanical engineer, but mm-hmm. uh, towards the middle of the project and working alongside mm-hmm. anthropologists and social scientists, he changed his title and he um, often, uh, perhaps a little jokingly, uh, introduces himself as a humanistic engineer. Wow. So I think, yeah, I think that was a real success. Mm-hmm. I have a similar moment from the final student presentation at the council. 
when they uh, they were speaking to a very um, intimidating group of people in a way. So you had the low carbon economy team, but also companies that they had collaborated with, such as a, a company that provides charging equipment, for instance, but also the task force on electric vehicles put together by the council. Um, and they presented their research findings with patience and with confidence. And at the end, um, the Q&A followed. And one engineer from the EV task force stood up and said, you know, I've been to so many of these presentations about electric vehicles. They're all so boring. And you could see that the students were really intimidated. Mm. And this is finally one presentation that is not only boring, it is useful. It's finally giving us something we can work with. Because the students had very specific points that they were addressing and recommendations mm. that could address those issues. And that was such a that was such a pleasant surprise. Yeah. It was similar to to the moment in the co-creation camp when someone from the low carbon economy team said, "Yeah, you're finding that um, we do have enough charging points, but we need better software across those charging points." Mm -hmm. Saved us millions because we we were thinking of adding more charging points mm -hmm. for the students to hear that yeah. their research saves the council millions. Yeah. I can't think of any any surprise more pleasant than that in a way. And it comes from this way of working that Sara described, I think. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking back from where you started with this uh, project, do you, do you feel like it has um, achieved these uh, big, uh, hairy, audacious goals that you were mentioning at the <laughs> beginning of this conversation? Um, or how do you feel about that now? And, and what are the next steps and, and you know, how, how, how do you plan to take these learnings forward? Well, if you ask me, it's a never-ending journey. So mm -hmm. um, in terms of next steps, we are, uh, we are in the final stages of the project because we formally finished on, in October this year. Mm -hmm. But the activities will still carry on because the people idea, the people mission goes beyond the people project. So this means that the participating universities will improve and incorporate the developed activities in their existing study programs. We are also connecting with others that are part of the so-called people community and want to start or implement the people project in their own contexts. Mm -hmm. So some of participating industries even introduce their own product development proposals that would require a new people learning cycle. So it's still ongoing and ongoing. And if you ask me if I, as coordinator, would do something differently, I would say no. And you know why? Because I see people as a journey that was meant to happen. With all the challenges, with all the conflicts, pushbacks, hard work, and etc., they, they were all necessary for extracting the lessons learned. So without them, we would not be able to spread out our message properly and effectively. We have to inform others that will come after us what could potentially happen or go wrong if they decide to go on the same journey as we did and how they could actually tackle those issues. This is what we learned. Maybe it could be helpful for you as well. Mm -hmm. So or may, maybe maybe what I would do differently is, uh, even, even though it sounds scary, but it's try to fail more. Mm -hmm. And 
And maybe this is a message or a signal for the uh, European Commission. So in case they are listening, I'm sending my warmest regards <laughs> to them as well. Mm-hmm. So projects like people in which you experiment with potential innovation should mm-hmm. be allowed to fail or should even be encouraged to fail, I would mm-hmm. say. But with a clear strategy behind it, with sound evaluation activities in place that should extract the lessons learned together with recommendations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's at the end, it's not re- interesting to read how everything went well or yeah, how everything yeah. is perfect, but it is very interesting yeah. to read how people failed and how yes. they managed to get back on their feet. Mm-hmm. Nice. Maybe also, Nora, if you want to share what's your um, mm. next steps. Yeah. Yeah, well, my next step um, is starting a career as a social scientist, so, of course, uh, with my degree. And um, through people, I feel way more confident uh, by yeah doing so. Um, and like Sarah said before, I can imagine that many students start a career in, in communication or any other field um, different from their social degree or anthropology degree, um, just because it's a standard job type that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy, well, I'm not, not saying easy, but maybe, uh, yeah, more standard to flow into. And uh, through people, I really uh, experienced the added value of doing ethnography work, and uh, I really had fun. And uh, so for me, it's kind of um, proving that in my future do- job as a social scientist, uh, just anywhere, it, I'm going to like it because I really like the way of working. And um, that for me at this moment, at the start of my career, is really giving me so much energy and confidence uh, in starting a job uh, in the social uh, social field and not in any other uh, type of field. So I'm really using my experience and uh, the theories I learned um, and through people I really experienced that that is the, the thing I want to do in my future job. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, from my end, my last question would be um, what advice would you give uh, those listening to us that are interested in embarking on this journey, either from the industry side or maybe even from the academic space? Well, I was really happy to hear and read that the students' evaluation of this kind of approach to teaching and learning was so positive. Uh, As I already mentioned, it was a problem-based and project-based learning process, and um, it was like an opportunity to experiment with research techniques in an exciting and interdisciplinary setting and also cooperating with external partner organizations within a safe environment. Uh, And I say safe environment because um, the two implementing partners, which were a higher education partner and an industry partner, uh, have to have clear expectations and reach an understanding that it is a primarily a teaching and learning experiment and that the Mm -hmm. students are not paid consultants. Um, Mm -hmm. And this allowed the students to test their methods and uh, experiment with these kind of approaches. So I feel that 
these kind of courses should definitely be embedded into teaching curricula in anthropology and other social sciences and humanities departments, because uh, at least in Slovenia, this is really very rare, um, specifically in cooperation with an external industry or business organization. But I feel that there's so much that can be gained that it's valuable to dive into it with, the, of course, having very clear uh, expectations on both sides of the um, partnership. Uh, maybe just a personal note for, for the end. Uh, because of the people, I actually applied for the PhD in anthropology, and I, and I did that yesterday. Wow. So, yeah, because <laughs> I cool. see... I actually see the huge value of ethnography also for the work I do and I think it could be a great contribution and it was because of the people because I saw uh, this kind of processes this kind of research what can bring so this is this is a personal thing but when it comes to advice I think that uh, first thing from project management perspective I would say that Try to find your core values, your mission that you want to follow and message that you want to convey and spread out. And then the second thing is find really a strong team of believers that share these ideas as well. And ideally with different but complementary expertise. And then you come to the final stage, which is action. So start slowly on step-by-step -step basis, carry on just carry on and things will start connecting with each other we also saw that in people so and don't give up yeah yeah and i also think that communication is key to such uh, such a collaboration that we had a lot of communication and very open communication because i mean especially between the higher education and the industry partners i think this is like a key element uh, that can support establishing an environment of trust, which is always needed, especially if it's uh, a new thing that you are embarking upon. Mm -hmm. Yes, and are there any um, documents or um, reports that you have all, are in the course of publishing um, around the learnings of the project? Uh, yes, we, we have been publishing since the beginning of the People Project uh, People Newsletter, Mm -hmm. uh, which is available on our webpage, of course, um, where we've been documenting and reporting on the different kinds of activities we've been doing. Um, so this is already available, while the, the final documents and reports will also be av available, right, Gregor? Yeah, of course. So all the, uh, all the, docu the documentation will be available on the website, and this will include the methodology, the nice. uh, evaluation and lessons learned, the uh, recommendations, the policy recommendations, the sustainability model. So everything will be will be available on the website. Um, uh, as said, a project finishes in October, so um, we can expect that the results will be published somewhere at the end of October. Great. I'll put all the links down below for those of us that are for those of you that are listening. So you can quickly go to the website and, and all of the other resources that are currently available from the team. 
Um, yeah, thank you so much from my side. This hour has just flown by. I, I had so much, so many more questions to um, to ask you. But for those of our listeners that are based in the Netherlands, we will have in September at the Interbuilding um, Applied Anthropology Meetup, Marije and Mount from Freie Universiteit, uh, which were the, um, I think, the Dutch partners of the project, come and speak to the project um, in this market and um, get questions and answers. So please feel free to come. Um, we have a meetup page and I'll put also the links to that, um, to Mariah's session below. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Thanks a lot for the discussion. This was really nice. Thank you, Corina. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.